everybody. Welcome to Leather and Limits. This is episode 17. It is March the 12th, which is already a scary thought. For those <laughs> poor bastards who are listening to this because of daylight savings time, I apologize. You had to deal with it too. Uh, <laughs> hell with that nonsense. I'm not a farmer. It doesn't affect my life. Sorry. And we're here to talk about dominance. Not the TS, Yay. but the ANCE. Very specifically. Because we, we did our D-type episode, and it, it served its purpose. We've covered those things. This is the bigger, like, meat-to-the-plate th- kind of thing. Like, this is the real... Getting into it. Really diving deep. Yeah, because that is exactly it. Is It's, you know, you can go anywhere and find a million articles about submission. And I'm not saying mm-hmm. that submissives shouldn't have this kind of thing, too, and we'll probably cover that here shortly. Um. I'm not dismissing it in any way for those that are listening, I promise. It's that you can find better material as a submissive through other submissives and sources. Very true. Where we have this problem in dominance, and we've addressed this before numerous times. Dominants don't fucking talk to each other. It's better than it used to be for some of us, and you know, any of us with any experience have learned to overcome some of those hurdles. But on average, the average dominant does not communicate well with other dominants. And so this particular, probably my opinion, one of the most important things to pick up is a dominant. And it's largely not something you can find anywhere if you're trying to learn it for yourself. Whether it's you're the switch and your submissive partner has finally said they need you to top sometimes or wherever it is that you come across it for yourself, regardless of how that source starts. There's not a lot out there that actually gives you real keys. Mm-hmm. That it's in be a domly dom, dark, darkly the domest 5,000. I mean, you know, <laughs> which we all know is a load of bullshit anyway. It doesn't actually help you because it's not about being the dark. Anyone can pretend to be in control. Anyone can fake it for, you know, 10 minutes. But that doesn't actually give that control when someone actually is seeking it. And usually submissives can tell that shit right away. Especially okay, once I the scene begins. This. <laughs> you open the door, I have to walk in it. I can fake it for at least an hour. I mean, I was being generous. But most women know how to do that almost professionally. Well, that's a different kind of faking. I wasn't going to go there for this. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> y'all I have had I practice had for a whole different one. reason, but... <laughs> I mean, if no, you go I've... by that standpoint, I can fake it for at least a half hour. So moving on. <laughs> With either gender, for that matter. Um... Yeah. So, yeah, definitely to piggyback on that. One of the big things and one of the big problems when you decide to start identifying as a dominant is finding resources and just finding other people to learn from. Because yep. it is, it, it's weird. The submissive network is is Amazing. Fully flourishing. It's amazing. You know, they reach out to each other. Oh, here's a guide. Here's tips. Here's cool infographics. You come out as a dominant and people expect you to already know what you're doing. It's a very weird thing. And the worst part is it's not gender specific the way you would think it would be. Oh, it makes sense because all these guys are dominants. It's not even a gender line thing because I know that female dominants have the same problem. (laughs) Women coming into kink. I think already have the deck kind of stacked against them if they're not openly identifying as a submissive. I agree. Um, if they if they identify as anything other than submissive, they're going to have a very very hard time. Yeah. No, absolutely, and I 
I am one of those who have always been an advocate for female dominance because mm -hmm. it has always been a step uphill the moment you try to put on the dom hat. Oh, yeah. That's <laughs> and a big I've, deal. What I find interesting, though, is the number of – and I know that there's soft feminine doms out there and mommies out there. Like, I don't pretend they don't exist for some reason. But ironically, those numbers were much smaller even 10 years ago. Yeah. And it's for the same reasons it's so hard to begin with, because the fight to be recognized as a legitimate gender, which is already a stupid statement to have to make. Let's be very honest <laughs> about that for a minute. It's beyond fucktarded that I even have to say it that way. That's so bad. But such is the nature of heteronormative monogamous anything. Yeah. And the problem is that just like that, it's also true in kink, because regardless of the fact that they were gay, our American kink ancestors, for lack of a better way to simplify it, were still men, white mm -hmm. men, regardless of what they preferred. And they still had all the issues of heteronormative white men, because that's the society they were raised in. And but... it's why it still affects us today the same way. But they had the bonus of being able to go to other men, regardless of sexual orientation, regardless of gender presentation. They could go to other men and say, can you show me this? Well, and the worst and they, part is And by they and had, large, they would be taught. Yeah. Well, they had an advantage, too. Mm -hmm. Because in those days, most of you were brothers in arms. Yes. Not all of them. But I think that's the part that a lot of people forget is if it was circa 1970 and before, especially, yeah. they were all veterans. Mm -hmm. There's a different yep. level of comfortable trust between soldiers. And I'm not going to dive too deep into that particular psychological hot pot. But the reality is when you are trained that way, the way the U.S. military trains their people, you have a different mentality very quickly. Because that's the point after all. I mean, that is the whole point of going through training for that. But it means that you look at other soldiers a specific way because you've trained to trust each other for the sake of life. Yep. And so moving away from that, the war is over, you've come home, you're dealing with traumas. It's easier to go to the guy that you know served alongside you, even if you weren't in the same platoon. And the thing is, now we're fast forwarding 30 plus somewhat odd years. That isn't the norm yeah. anymore. Most of the people in kink are not veterans. Not that it's not a commonplace trick. Because, you know, we're still out there doing our thing, too. Like, it's not like they magically dried up. No. But it's not the norm anymore. Because right. we're not just a bunch of old white gay men doing leather. Now it's, are you swinger? Are you kinky? Are you leather? Are right. you this? Are you that? Are you man or woman? Are you another gender? And all of that is legitimate. But it changes how you approach all those things. And the problem is when you come from that insular soldier mentality of us versus everyone else. And it's I, I won't get into the psychology of gay leather and why it's become what it is like. That's another whole episode. And I will eventually get there as much as we talk about it in our own way, because we have to at some point. But for the purposes of this. Well, and it's especially because the mentality goes into a lot of what's happening today, too. And I don't yes. think a lot of the people who are upset about it even recognize that part of it. And I think it would make a That's difference. Sure. But that mentality is what kept everybody else out of leather for years. Now, mm -hmm. we've reached the point where I don't care what gender you are. I don't care what background you're from. That is no longer a part that matters, which is fair. 
which is the way it should be. It should be universal as far as I'm concerned. It's open invitation if you want to be kinky and you can put your responsibility on for those that want to be a dominant. That is mm-hmm. how it should be. Unfortunately, we are governed by society, cultures, mentalities, biases. So feminine dominance walking into the state, into the space, in the U.S. specifically, it's not as bad in some places. There was this huge mountain to climb even before our time. Mm-hmm. Yep. And it's still there, though. It's still perpetuated. Um mm-hmm. When I first got into the scene in Minnesota, when I first got divorced, ironically enough, it was a kick group, good or bad. <laughs> everybody can bake their own assumptions on that one. This was, you know, going on six years ago now. And kick was still a very common live space, local meat digital usage for a lot of places. Because mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. everybody had the scene like L.A. or like Florida. Mm-hmm. And it just evolved to the point where places like kick were a great way to get that done. So I stumbled across a very small BDSM group that was local to Minnesota from Minneapolis. It was like seven or eight people. It wasn't even that big. But it was my first site I landed on where I found genuinely kinky people. They were not swingers. They were not auction people. They were not perpetuating some online toxicity as we all know about today. None of that. And the primary head of the group was a femdom. She was easily more sadistic than I am, which I thought was fantastic. And despite that, she was constantly, you'd have doms come in and immediately be disparaging. Not Mm -hmm. outright disrespectful, but disparaging in that, it's okay, little sister, sit here, I got this. Kind of bullshit. And I know you know what I'm talking about. And for the Mm -hmm. same reasons, I'm going to say sorry the way I did to her. Because that shit (laughs) is bullshit. And it shouldn't enter into our spaces. I can't it, help it that they're idiots, but but kink kink is a distilled like when you when you look at leather and you look at kink, you you already have like this large global community and kink yeah. distills it down a little further because it's not everybody's involved in kink. No, and absolutely. And then it distills down even further because not everybody's leather, and then it distills down further yeah. because not leather truly began with gay men. Yeah. So, so the reality of all of that. Is that by nature of identifying as a woman walking into any leather space, you're yeah. a minority. Oh God, yes, you know, absolutely minority. And and you know, to your point, it's not it's not a negative, but you can't take people out of the global community and pretend like they left all that behind because now they're identifying as leather. It it still. For lack of That's a, a lovely, word, perfect world, but it just doesn't work that way. Yeah. Like anywhere else. So, I mean, you know. Exactly. Which is why, as as a new dominant coming into kink, you know, and especially if you're lucky enough to find out that you might want to walk a leather path early on, um, I will say being leather opens more doors for you, I found. Because I can see that. I, yeah, because I because I'll say this like when I when I came into kink, you know, and anybody that's listened to this podcast knows kind of my origin story. But I started out as a submissive and then worked my way into a twenty four seven TPE as a slave, <laughs> and I was owned and collared for multiple years. Right. Um. I learned a lot. I'm, I'm not going to say it was a horrible experience, and that's why I became a dominant. It's not at all what happened. Um. I just found my personality shifted radically in my mid twenties, and 
being submission sucks. <laughs> I won't say it sucks. No, it, no, exactly. I was teasing. I, I would never say that. I, I mean, I Not think for all. how I was at the time, it fit my personality. But my personality right. shifted as I became more myself, and you know, my brain was fully formed, and I found my personality. And yeah, I, there was no question that I was dominant. But the interesting thing that happened with that is that the people around me. I was fortunate we're mostly supportive and I was fortunate we're mostly leather. And yeah. so what ended up happening is I had people that I could ask people that didn't see me as a rude little upstart, you know, people <laughs> that people that saw I was trying and didn't know where to go. And right. You know, I, I am of the generation that was the first generation that had the internet. Right. Um, because we, when I was a child, the internet had already started to become a thing, but it hadn't blossomed into the full-fledged what it is now thing. Right. That didn't happen until my 20s. Um, but, you know, there was no online resource right, where I could Google, you know, what is it to identify as a dominant? What is it to be leather? Like, it just didn't exist. And right. so I was definitely dependent on finding like-minded people. And so... Yeah. Me, that ended up being gay men because most of the people I was around were gay men. Um, the heterosexuals that I was around, they were heterosexual male dominance and they didn't necessarily respect a new dame. They didn't necessarily respect somebody that was learning. And I saw the same kind of derision and joking. You know, you talk about the military thing. Obviously, most of these guys were military or law enforcement. And there was a lot of jokey jokey happening because it was like, oh, look at the baby Dom, you know, oh, let's let's see how they try this this time or, you know, oh, you want to learn about rope? Well, here's here's a hank of rope. Show me what you know how to do. And so right. that kind of I'm going to call it bullshit started. Some <laughs> of it was camaraderie. Some Fair. of it is mocking. Right? right. But it's not exactly a le learning environment. And so oh, not even close. These these people that would start coming out like, hey, I'm curious about dominance because, you know. Even the, we'll call it the normal way. You know, my girlfriend and I are curious about this. Right. And it was, we'll go to classes. Well, the problem with that is you had to pay for classes. Not everybody could afford that. Or you had to go to a dungeon. Not everybody was comfortable doing that. Right. So YouTube became a popular <laughs> device. Um, but even then, like, it was hard. Like, you know, somebody puts out YouTube content. You want to message them. Not everybody felt empowered to message whoever made the YouTube video. Right. And so even then, you're further, you're not gatekeeping, but you're stemming the flow of information because but communication is still an issue. Yeah. Absolutely. And so if you didn't have a mentor, if you didn't have a leather house, if you didn't have, you know, it, it ultimately almost always fell on who was the dungeon owner. Yep. Almost always. Absolutely. Because your dungeon owners, in a sense, became your, <laughs> your Gandalf the Grey of kink. Well, it's, and, I don't think enough people understand that's why so many live spaces yep. back in the day were somebody's household. Mm -hmm. And that could mm -hmm. be a private home or like a leather yeah. house because mm -hmm. it wasn't a separate space more often than not because the person running it was usually part of a bigger organization or it was their organization that was running it. Yeah. So exactly. it didn't make sense to have separate spaces anyway. Mm -hmm. It's a very, it was and a different universe that way. It very much was, and I think people don't understand yeah. that. Kink is radically different now than it was even 10 years ago. 
Um, for the better, I'd and say. And leather. But... Absolutely. I, I would say, yeah, absolutely. But even leather, you know, when you, the, the, the microcosm within the microcosm, right? <laughs> yeah. Leather in and of itself is radically different because. Oh, God, yes. Even in the 90s when you had, I'll say the 80s, when you started having your heterosexual leather Thank you. pop up, your lesbian <laughs> leather pop up and be recognized. Because, you know, historically speaking, leather was always gay. And so even for women that were identifying as leather, that were lesbian, or women that oh, attached yeah. themselves to gay houses as a means of survival and learning, they weren't necessarily recognized. Uh, but what did happen, because you have to discuss this, you can't just gloss over it, but nope. the AIDS epidemic radically shifted how gays and lesbians and leather interacted. Yep. Because the lesbians are the ones who stepped up and took care of these gay men. Well, yeah, they kept the lights on, so to speak. They kept the lights on. They kept the rituals and the traditions. Yeah. The, the oral traditions were passed down. Others were passed down and gifted to friends. You know, well, and it was the lesbians who did that. And I think it's important. Like, this is one of those we are going to do a history of kink at some point that's got much more detail on it. But I don't think enough people understand that there's a reason that kink evolved the way it did from leather. And a part of that was this right here. When the gay epidemic hit the gay, you know, wow, the AIDS epidemic, you know what I meant, please. Yeah, I would never yeah. suggest that. God knows I'm pansexual. I don't give a fuck. Um, but when the AIDS hit so hard, and I don't think enough people understood by 1990, it was one of the leading causes of death for everyone under the age of 40. It was that serious. It was an epidemic. And it hit the heteros as much as it did the gays by then when it was in full swing. Oh, yeah. But by the turn of the end of the 80s, the only community, and we have this luxury because we had uh, him with us not too long ago speaking about this as yeah. a lesbian in leather. And the only, she didn't even get acceptance from the gay leather family until no. later. And people need to understand, and they only got that because they were still in the gay family, so to speak, when it came to leather. They were not hetero. And if they had been hetero, that whole universe could have gone a very different way. Mm -hmm. But because they were sympathetically of the same cultural group that way, it opened the door. And it opened the door to kink becoming more than just old gay leather soldiers. That's such a key point in its history. Because it is well, why it became hetero. And it's not that hetero didn't exist before then. It's that the heteros came along and the gays came along that were dying out, along with the lesbians who were finally making spaces because they were part of it now. Mm -hmm. And there was a point where the gay men could no longer be in control of everything all the time. They no longer had the option. Like, they were running out of bodies, so to speak. No pun intended. I'm not trying to be dark about it. It's that the numbers shifted. Oh. Yeah. And they couldn't keep everyone out anymore they literally just well, weren't at a capacity where they even could well and then kind of with with all things right somebody sees something they like and they want to try it and as more women entered these spaces and more men entered these spaces and realized that they're they weren't necessarily gay they may be something else Mm -hmm. Or they may still yep. respect the fact that I'm straight, but I'm hanging around a bunch of my military brothers. Yep. Um, a lot of these these traditions started bleeding over. And you, you have to acknowledge that because that's 
that's what explains the knowledge gap. Yep. That's what explains the knowledge vacuum, you know, and people constantly, t- you, you hear people talk about gatekeeping. Leather was such a closed society. It wasn't necessarily gatekeeping. It was preservation because yeah. you couldn't talk about it. It was weird. Nope. It was dirty. It was seedy. It was something you didn't talk about because, you know, automatically because you were homosexual, it was bad. And so anything leather and kink in those circles specifically didn't get discussed. No. And so, you know, even like, you know, I laugh about it, but I point out to people all the time now, the way that we do abuse reporting, the the way that people talk about abusers and stuff like that, you have to understand this was a closed society. So even within that group, if you had an abuser, they may be known about and still not discussed even among the, 60 to 100 people they were coming into contact with yep. because it was such a closed society. Well, and, and it, it, I saw, still saw this when I was, you know, I came in in the 90s, like as a non-straight mm-hmm. male. And all of that, like when I was first, I won't say indoctrinated, when I was first actually <laughs> conditioned into the house, mm-hmm. when I was actually passing my interview or whatever you want to call that, and I was allowed to start as a bottom. There was an immediate shift for me when I started realizing what this was. Because of course I didn't know right away. I was 19. What the hell did I know from anything? Mm-hmm. Never mind that this was a time where that wasn't even mentioned in high school hallways. Like everybody doesn't like remembering high school. But the one thing you'll all remember is the sexuality being weird. Because <laughs> you still were figuring out what the hell that was. So mm-hmm. you didn't have anyone talking about kink. Because there was no space for it that was safe to even mention it in the first place. It was still high school. So even in places where it might have been acceptable once you hit 18, it wasn't before that. So at 19 years old, I walked into a space that was still considered taboo in 1990-something. Yeah. And so I didn't even know what I walked into at first. And it was part of the reason they approached it the way they did with approaching me in consent. And I don't you know, I didn't know then. I look back at it now and I realize exactly the way it was done, why it was done that way. Because my immediate feelings when I was actually in there for the first time, when I actually set foot inside those halls as a member, and I felt a combination of, you know, I'm part of some secret cool club or a frat, you know, like a, like the Masons or some shit, and terrified that I did something that was now considered unclean. I had to wrestle with that like anybody else because it was, I couldn't go to my dad about it. I couldn't go to my friends about it. I couldn't go to anyone about it. So, yeah, that societal cutoff is such a primary reason that all of this gets shaped, turning it back all the way around to where we were with dominance. <laughs> because that's exactly what this is all about. It's This is where the average dominant walks into kink even today. This is what they're up against. Yeah, it is. And it doesn't matter what part of the gender barrier you're on anymore or any of that. Well, and the hard part is like, even, even as a person, you're you, like, yay, you finally found kink. Yay. All the hot <laughs> shit. Like, yay, this porn is sexy. Yay. I want to try stuff with my partner. And then you're like, yeah, I'm dominant. Now what? Well, the internet just dried up and died for you. Like, because, you know, again, Submissives have all these great networks. They have all these guides and infographics. Right. You know, like they have all these cool memes. But as a dominant, 
God help you, because right now you've got Dom talk, and that's awful. Uh, you know, kink talk and like that kind of shit. Yeah. And the reality is, until you step foot in a dungeon, you're not coming into contact with other dominants to really learn from. You don't get a chance to really ask people questions and say, hey, you know, I'm curious about XYZ. Right. And so it's hard, and it's hard as a dominant to know which advice is good advice and which one is crap. It's hard to look at websites and go, yeah, this person seems solid. Or looking at websites and understanding that this person is a professional dominant, and yeah. so their information is tailored to a very specific type of audience. You know, it's very, very overwhelming. I, and I won't even get into the, the being a woman with dealing with that <laughs> shit yet, because I'll, I'll save that for the other half of the, the talk. But no, absolutely. Like just, just bare bones coming into it and saying, okay, I'm a, I I want to start identifying as a dominant. Now what? Where do and you start? Therein lies the end of your entire yep. sentence. I wish that wasn't yep. true, but that's of this moment. There's you come in as a dominant. The only thing you have is media. Let's let's all yep. take that second to let that sink in. Because yep. anyone who has two brain cells and mm -hmm. has been in kink more than five minutes understands the depths of that statement. Yep. Because your experience and exposure is fifty, you know, fifty shades whether we like it or not, you know, oh, yeah. all the media out there about mistresses and like exit to Eden and the secretary, yeah. those things yep. that you can actually see as a normal person, so to speak. That's your only idea of what kink is. Or the, shaped by porn. what is it, that really ridiculously hot porn-esque show that came out on Netflix last year, like 365 or whatever. I, oh, I don't remember on, exactly. No. You no, know as well as I do, no. there's people that use it that way, though, whether we like it or not. And I mean, that's the that's a hot. great example of it, though. Is it's yeah. right? Oh no, it absolutely was hot as fuck. I'm not taking <laughs> that from it, no matter what. If you like heterosexual sex, that is a great show to watch. Oh yeah, that shit was hot as fuck. I'm never going to take that away from it. But there are people <laughs> who understand that as part of kink because they yeah. don't know any better. Well, and, and that's the when... newest submission. <laughs> Well, because I mean, but that's the thing is when you, you know, even if you're wanting to dive into porn and you, you type in the search word dominant or dominance yep. or submission into porn, you're immediately inundated with femdom porn. Like there's no way around it. It's well, all, it's all going to be. And there's a reason for that though. Look at what the other well, side of that usually sure. is. It's usually machines and bondage and that's it. It's usually well, right in the middle of sex. So you're not actually learning mm -hmm. anything. Just well, porn. which is my point. And that's, yeah. that's the thing, though, is what people do is they see porn and then they want to emulate it because they're like, oh, that's hot. They don't right. realize that some fantasies need to stay a fantasy because you're going to wreck your spank bank. But the. Because <laughs> it's true. Well, it's true, though. Oh, like, absolutely. You find your hottest porn out there and you're like, oh my God, I want to try that. And then you realize the reality of it sets in and it doesn't go right. And now you've ruined see, all of it. You laugh. You know, but. You it's laugh. True. But I had a friend of mine back in Minnesota was not part of the community, but I had met through work and whatnot. Um, mm -hmm. And they ended up finding kink on their own, which was hilarious because I was already in the spaces by then. Um, but I remember because their entire view of sex shifted because mm -hmm. they'd been using porn. They didn't know any better at that point. Like they certainly didn't know to like ask someone like me and I wouldn't have thought to ask them because that's not how that works. I didn't know what they were into, but apparently they'd been watching dominant porn yeah. for years. 
And then they finally found kink, and they discovered that their entire what turns me on shifted on its axis completely as a result. Oh, yeah. When they started actually finding what really made them tick. And that's the other side of that is porn doesn't teach you anything. And half the time when you finally get into the lifestyle, your actual tastes versus what you saw then can shift on its axis so hard it'll make your head spin. Well, and it'll shift your You don't know any better. Like, you literally don't know any better yet. That's the point. No, but it'll continue shifting as your knowledge base increases, too. I mean, because, like, yes, it does. Even even the kinks (laughs) that you like are going to shift. Like, your bare bones fetishes, I think most people keep. But, like, as you get more experienced and you see things and you try things, you realize, oh, I'm actually into that. That doesn't freak me out anymore. And then you start noticing your threshold shifts. You know, and stuff that was super edgy and scary to you when you first got into it. Ten years later, you're like, hey, come here. I'm going to try this. Yep. You know, and so that's, I, I mean, I just think that's part of your I evolution, mean, right? I, I've been saying it since episode one. The phrase that you will say the most after you enter the lifestyle is, shit, I think I'm into this. <laughs> and no true words have ever been spoken. You will find kinks, no matter oh, yeah. what your mindset when you enter, you're you going to have all the, well, and it goes back to what we were saying really also is it. You come in with all these preconceived notions based on what media sources you may have been exposed to. That's it. That's all you have. And maybe BDSM Wiki if you were smart enough to find Google before you got there, too. And have stumbled into a munch for the first time. All Mm -hmm. of your preconceived notions are based on societal norms for your particular combination, whether you're heteronormative or some other shift. You're part of that particular culture's views on it. Shaped. And then exposed to whatever media you may have had the luxury, and I use the key term luxury for a reason, in media before you set foot. Mm -hmm. And the moment you do, all of that determines where your journey goes and how soon it starts evolving. Because you start realizing you take all of these preconceived things you came with, slowly get left by the door as you keep moving forward. As your, t- as your tune shifts, as your education level changes, as everything starts tasting and experiencing, everything you thought you knew starts dramatically pathing over and over again. Which is important, because it is how you learn things like dominance. Mm-hmm. Because you're not going to learn it from media, you're not going to learn it from BDSM Wiki, you're not going to learn it from that book someone said you should buy. It'll help. I'm not saying every source in the world is bullshit. Like, don't get me wrong. As I've said before, there's no one true way. Don't even trust everything I say. You know, do your own homework. Make your own notions. Mm-hmm. But that all comes back to how little that is communicated between dominance about dominance. Well, and that's, but see, that's also, once you take all, and I'm just going to say it, once you take the <laughs> dick measuring out of the whole competition you know and the the intense fight for the perfect sub yeah um because one of the things that i've noticed too with dominance and it's not just new dominance either no when people they declare i are dominate and they step (laughs) out onto that world stage like hear me roar i will never get old i'm sorry no it won't i fucking love it um a huge shout out to knothead for starting that whole phrase because seriously god it's beautiful yes um but the competition for subs becomes the first thing that you learn it's not skills it's not communication it's not 
what you learn is there are far more femme subs than any other demographic. What you learn is that there's a lot of male subs or male dominants that are just very, very territorial. And so you start learning very quickly that the hierarchy of, oh, you can't speak to me, you have to speak to my master. You know, if you, you're lucky enough to find FetLife and start uh, messaging people, you learn very, very quickly that, did you read my profile? Oh, um, God. <laughs> and you have to deal with that kind of bullshit. So when you're learning, it's, it's hard. And once you start actually engaging with somebody and you get somebody that gives you the time of day and they start sharing resources, I have found very quickly you weed out the people that are looking for casual sex partners versus those who are actually engaged in kink. Oh, by um, far. Absolutely. And it's, and it's, and you, you spot them quick. Like for, for anybody that's like, well, I don't know how to tell them apart. And I don't, I don't really know what their motivations are. Are they trying to, to fuck? What they type. <laughs> it's like, yeah. it sounds silly and it sounds it's a little obvious. too obvious, but it mm -hmm. really is that simple. Mm -hmm. If it's the first interaction you're having and all they're talking about is fucking, they're in it for the fucking. Or, and, or and don't get me wrong, there's nothing message. wrong with good old-fashioned casual fucking. I'm never shitting on no. that. But that's not kink. That's and it's not, not a gateway to knowledge for. in any capacity other than, well, that was an experience. Um, well, and the, the other huge thing, too, though, is if you're reading messages and... They're talking about how you look throughout the whole message. Like, uh, oh, you're so beautiful. Oh, you're so intelligent. Okay. You're, you're stuck on the window dressing. Cool, thanks. Um, you're not somebody I'm going to invest some time in. Right. Because um, that's now you've, you've said to me, you're looking for somebody to fit a very specific vision that you have. So you're either trying to reenact something that you've seen or you need me to fill some kind of fetish role for you. Yep. Um, it's very much role play. Or a sub. Absolutely. And I'm not here for that. Like, right. Yeah. You can pay a professional for that. Um, yeah, pretty much. But I, but for me, like coming, coming into kink and really saying and having the balls, so to speak, to say I'm a dominant woman. The first thing I got asked was, are you sure? Yeah. Which is so infuriating. The second thing I got asked was, oh, so let me guess you like CBT. I mean, I do. For a completely different reason. Um, I was going to say, but so what? I mean... Well, but that, that was the expectation. Right. Though, especially when I came into kink, because yeah. all of your femdom porn was that brutal, harsh, CBT, sadistic punishment. You know, yeah. women in not quite Nazi uniforms. You know, the glossy, high fashion fetish. High fetish, right? Yeah. And when I said no, I'm actually really curious about flogging. I remember the first guy that I said that to and just the laughter. And he's like, who are you going to hit little girl? Uh, now, uh, for those of you that just know my voice through the podcast, <laughs> you've not met me. Sorry. I am I... not a larger person. I'm five foot six. Um, at that time I was weighing in on a, on a good day, probably 165. Um, I would not say I was petite, but I was, definitely smaller than the average man and so that was but that was his thing was so who are you gonna hit little girl and i was like right now i want to punch you but i'm trying to learn from you because i've been watching you flog other people and i like the looks on the faces of the women that you're playing with and that's what i'm trying to capture because these women 
they were happy. They were enthralled. They were, they were having a good experience. And I was like, that's what I want to produce in the people that I play with. Right. And, and his response to me was, I'll come back in a few years when you're really sure about what you want. I can show you. And I was like, well, you're a dick. I'm done. And so that shoved me into a corner for a while where See, I stopped asking for uh, help. And I just kept observing because it shut me down. Oh, absolutely. And then, then I finally got comfortable talking to, you know, dungeon owners, people that ran groups and munches and stuff like that, and really made it clear that I was trying to learn. And once I really put it out there sincerely, I'm trying to learn. People started investing back in me. And these were not leather folk initially. These were just other right. lifestyle dominance. And I realized that I was gravitating towards certain types of men to learn from because I thought they were very dominant men. And that's what I wanted. I was attracted to the dominance. They were, it was something that I wanted to learn about more, something I wanted to emulate, of course. And it was the gay men that actually rallied around me. And it was gay men that came up to me and said, come here, let me show you. And I remember very, very distinctly one of my like early kink formative years. Um, I was in a dungeon and I was flogging one of my play partners. Um, it was my very first submissive that had agreed to wear my collar. So, of course, I'm on cloud nine thinking I'm ruling the world. Huh. And I'm flogging him and my scene gets interrupted by a DM. And they were like, hey, I just wanted to let you know you're doing a good job. And I was like, is that a compliment? And uh, he's like, yeah. I was like, so you interrupted my scene to give me a compliment that you think I needed to have. Yeah. And he was like, well, you should be flattered. And I was like, no, I'm pissed. Like, because now you've ruined his headspace, you've ruined my headspace. Yeah. And I remember, like, I'm packing my shit. I was leaving. I was, I was enraged. Packing my shit, leaving. There had been a men's group next door. And the men's group next door, a very closed group. Women were not allowed in there, regardless of presentation, regardless of identification. Um, you know, obviously, this is before terms like non-binary and stuff were really incorporated in dungeon space. Right. And so nothing feminine was allowed in this space whatsoever. Right. No feminine energy. Like, twinks were barely tolerated. Yep. Because it was a leather men's space. Yeah. I remember walking out of the dungeon on the, we'll say it, the, the pansexual side. And one of the men came out and said, hey, uh, the master inside is asking for you. <laughs> and I was like, are what? you sure you've got the right knocks? Because there might be a few running around. And they said, no, the master is asking for you. Can you come inside? And I'm thinking, holy shit. Like I'm, it's like meeting the Wizard of Oz, right? Like the, no, the absolutely. Opening, and I'm allowed in this space. Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god! So I remember walking, starting to walk in, and the owner of the facility is like, "You can't go in there." And I was like, "I was requested." And they were like, yeah. "Holy shit! Are you serious?" And I'm like, "It probably will only be five minutes. I'm sure he just wants to yell at me, and then I'll come back out. It's fine." I was gonna say, so I don't expect there. to be in here either. Okay. No, no shit. I was, I was absolutely dumbfounded that I was being asked to walk into this men's space. Right. And I walk in there and a very lovely, lovely person named Sir RJ walks up to me and he goes, ma'am, I understand you were flogging a boy. And I said, yeah. And he goes, could you flog my boy? 
And I was like, no, I am not flogging your boy. And he's like, no, I, I, we're having a debate. We think that women flog differently than men. And I was like, well, if you're not trained by the same person, you're going to flog differently. Like, that makes sense to me. Right. And he goes, yeah, we just want to see how a woman does it. And so I offer my boy up as your demo bottom because we're, we're curious how it feels. And I proceeded to stay in this dungeon for two and a half hours. <laughs> and I flogged every man that was in there, dominant and submissive. I was flogged by multiple of them. I was shown different floggers. I was shown different techniques. Um, that's, that's actually how I learned how to flog genitalia. Um, and in that two and a half hours, these gay men taught me more about what it was to be dominant. They taught me more about how kink was a vehicle for power exchange than I had learned in the five years I had been on the other side of the dungeon. And when people ask me, like, I don't understand the difference of leather and kink, that right there that was the difference it. for me. Yep. Because these men, sure, it started because of my gender. No doubt. They were curious. You know, there was some derision, like, oh, we flog better because, you know, we're men. We know what men are. And about. that's, you can guarantee that's how it started. Yeah. Whatever it, it evolved into. Way. Right. It obviously it shifted. Even way. before it got to you, it had already shifted some. Yes. But there's and no question where it came from. Like, that's besides the no, point. Not at all. But these, these men, I ended up developing friendships with, I wouldn't say relationships, but definitely friendships and a limited camaraderie, right? Because I was still an outsider. It's not my space, um, not my society. But these men took an interest in me and showed me things because it went from flogging to straight razor shaving. And then from straight razor shaving to some pretty brutal CBT that I hadn't been exposed to before because in the That's... femdom space, it's a different type of CBT than what men do to each other. And that is respect um, right there. Absolutely. And, you know, people, people used to say, oh, you're so cocky. And I was like, no, it's not cocky. It's an assurance thing because these men yeah. taught me what it was to actually be humble and have a quiet dominance. Yeah. And these were men that in any group, while you might be able to say, okay, I think that person might be gay, you could not tell who was Dom, who was Sub, because they were all so secure. You know, these were men that knew exactly what their place was. Yes. They knew exactly what, where they were in their house. They knew exactly who they served and why. They were sure of themselves, and that's what got my attention. And it wasn't yeah. like, sure, I wanted to identify as a dominant, but it wasn't until I met those men that I was like, that is dominance. Yep. Because they weren't just wearing it like a role. They weren't just playing, you know, look at me, I'm having fun. It wasn't fun just and a hat for pickle. the evening. No. It is a mentality. No, this was their it is life. a way of life. You yeah. got it. And it was so radically different than what I saw in the heterosexual space. Oh, yeah. And, but it was funny because after that happened, after that flogging thing happened and I came back out of that dungeon that night, every male dominant that was on staff at that facility started paying attention to me. And it was literally every weekend I went after that, because, you know, they were only open Friday, Saturday. Every weekend I went after that, there would be some male dom coming up to me saying, hey, have you tried this toy? Hey, have you seen what I made? And it was like, all of a sudden, it, it was like it gave me some weird street cred. Like now I was recognized as actually being a dominant. Well, and yeah. so 
it, it was it was really weird and it led for me a weird journey where I stopped playing with submissives for like a year because I was only playing with other dominants. <laughs> yeah. Which was terrifying, right? Um, because oh, I'm when sure you're learning it was. to have these very senior leathermen, you know, men with caps, you know, men with vests coming to you and saying, Hey, try that on me. Yeah. I was like, no. Like I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you know, learning how to use a bullet, I could right? do that. No, yes, I was you terrified. can, and yes, you the will. First time I wrapped a whip around a guy because he was like, "Try to hit me," and I was like, "No, I'm not confident with this yet. I've never thrown a whip." Yeah, but you're not gonna learn if you don't hit someone. Now, knowing what I know now, that was so stupid, and he was <laughs> either stupid or brave. I don't know. Both. Yeah, but you know, right. I wrapped him all the way around the sternum and hit him on the back of the spine. You know, it was like it was freaking awful, but. But slowly, my skill increased, and I think faster because I was playing with other dominants, because they could articulate things back to me I could learn. None of that was something I could have picked up online. None of that I would have gotten from a book. There was no YouTube tutorials that I could have watched to give me what those five to six men were able to impart on me. Yeah. You know, and, and, it, and, I say, and I keep harping that it was men that did this because in the community that I came up in, you did not see dominance that were women. Right. Or if you saw them, you never saw them playing. They were so uncommon. It was like watching a unicorn. So uh, uncommon. And no, in a absolutely. lot of places, they weren't welcome. And so I yes. didn't have women to learn from. I didn't have women that I could go to and ask advice. Um, in fact, I didn't actually befriend my first dame, who I now call sister, um, probably another four years after that journey started. It took me four years to find another woman that I could go, wow, we think the same. Yep. And that's not weird. You know, and so it's, it truly is horrifying to me how little there is for dominance this when it comes to learning. Sense. Yeah. It's so, it's so awful because as, a, and it's also why you end up with so many submissives that are so well read. You have so many submissives that are so educated on everything that they outpace their dominance a lot of times. Or already have before they even start talking. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And well, it's because there's, you know, we always preach safety, you know, and subs learn about safety because you're on the bottom of things and you have to be careful. Well, and it's, it's one of those things not enough people understand. Like we, we happen to have that luxury because we also happen to have been, while in mm -hmm. different time frames, part of the same circlet. In South Florida, Central Florida, because those were our spaces. And that was a space that was much more comfortably leather than a lot of parts of America in those days, because the nature of that whole area was a lot more open than most. Mm -hmm. But as a direct result, you had places, and this is why I say Florida is such a unique space. You had places like Fetish Factory where someone could walk in off the street mm -hmm. and attend a tasting effectively. Yep. Now, granted, there were obviously, you know, you walked in, you paid your dues, you consented, like, you you know, it wasn't just a walk in off the street and if somebody called the cops, oh, well, like there was protections in place of a sort. Yes. But the big one was oh, you pay your dues, you take your chances. You know, if you walked in here, you don't get to bitch unless it's an yeah. actual issue. Mm -hmm. And there was a reason mm -hmm. for that. But yeah. 
these spaces, especially in the, you know, the middle and end of the 90s, which was when I entered the scene, were so heavily controlled by leather still. There was not a space that was not at least indirectly controlled, ultimately, by a guy in their 60s or 70s -hmm. who was almost always gay, rarely hetero. And they were the ones running everything. Mm -hmm. Because leather and its roots, and we've talked about that before, we're not diving into it again right now, but the roots of leather were these men were trained, top and bottom. Mm. Their confidence came from learning all there was about King before they were even allowed off the leash, as it were. Because <laughs> yeah. that was how it was in the old days, and it's how I was raised, is you bottomed first, and the only reason our house awarded leather wasn't so much the award. Like, the official award for your boots was specifically more of a, okay, we're willing to tolerate you a bit longer. It was like passing probation. <laughs> That's all it was. Like, it wasn't a significant recognition of your manhood. or It was literally, okay, you're an accepted member of the tribe. That's all it was. It was like some bars said, if you really wanted to be part of this, you wore chaps. It's the same idea. But that wasn't an award. That's just how you did things. When you earned your vest in our house, it was a recognition that you were now competent enough. You were there being competent. Not experienced, not the most knowledgeable, not the most well-read, not the most fuckable. You just knew the basics. You were considered (laughs) competent enough not to hurt someone else Mm -hmm. by accident as much as you humanly could. And were then allowed to choose the responsibility of the next role. Mm -hmm. And that's how that was worded for a reason. You were a bottom until you were considered competent enough to risk hurting another body. That is how that worked. You were allowed out into spaces as a dominant once you were considered safe enough. That was how we did things. And not every house was the same. Not every bar was the same. But it was a level of competency expectation so that there's a reason that leather spaces and kink spaces in that time frame, you had more of that confidence in the leather dominance. Because it came from a specific place because you weren't allowed to even practice until you had it. But mm-hmm. they made sure you were given the tools. It's not yeah. like today where we don't even have that because it's become so fractured and not everything is leather. I'm not saying everyone should be leather. Like, don't misunderstand me. It's that there's mm-hmm. a reason it was more controlled back then. And when we think of dominance, when the word dominance is spoken, if you're older than 30, the first thing you go to is this very casual, firm, it may not look like Mr. Gray, but it's a similar stereotypical shape in your mind. on average at least for men Mm -hmm. of this the dude in the suit in complete control of himself dead confidence not because he's cocky but because he knows he can be and those are two different things that is the kind of dominance that leather taught and they taught it to everyone it was universal so that i think what we have today is you have so many places and so many people who come from so many different sources that we no longer have the luxury of you didn't get a choice. Yeah. And I think that's a key part of it that people forget is we no longer had a choice because now we're in places where it's not all leather all the time. And there's nothing wrong with that. I don't want everyone. No. I think there are tools there that people can learn from, but that doesn't mean you have to be leather. 
I think one of the one of the key things too when you're talking about the attitude and the security and things like that, that is something kind of going back to the roots of leather, that is something that's also inherent to those who have been in the armed forces. Um, right, wrong, or indifferent, that type of confidence is something that's instilled through training and, and things like that and the camaraderie and, and the, the brotherhood. Um, and it is very, very unique to that group of individuals. You know, it's more expansive now because obviously the military is more gender expansive and there's more people that have had dealings with military. But when you, for me personally, it's always easy to spot leather folk when I'm at a conference or some kind of con or something like that, because you, you literally can pick them out of a crowd, not based on what they're wearing. But if you look at someone's demeanor and they're bearing long enough, you're, you're, it's going to pop up on your radar almost immediately that that person's military law enforcement or leather. And you, and like you mentally kind of go through these gymnastics about which one are they before I approach them or do I want to approach them? Right. Yeah. You know, cause I only want to approach them if they're leather folk. I don't really care about their backstory, but you know, that, that kind of thing plays into it. And there is, when somebody is actually dominant and it is their personality, not just the cool role that they're putting on for a brief time, or it's not, you know, not something that they're role playing for a sexy evening with their significant other. Right. Um, the dominance absolutely comes through if you watch somebody long enough. Even people yes. that are quietly dominant. Yes. You know, quiet dominance uh, fascinate me the most because they're so undervalued. Um, you know, the, the people that slap you in their face with their dominance usually get your attention first, but it's the quiet yeah. ones because I've, I've been friends with a couple of these doms and, and typically they're men. They're so sure of themselves that they don't have to project. They get to uh, choose how they project and how they present. Right. And so you'll see them and people will mistake them for submissive all the time. Because they're nice, you know, they're genuine, they're polite. And so people will be like, oh, so, are, you know, are you here looking they're for a dom? And they kind of chuckle. Wall. Yeah, they don't care because no. they know what they're about. They're comfortable. Exactly. And, you know, and it's, and it's funny when that's, that kind of stuff starts because you can see them. They'll be in a crowd of other dominants and you'll see them kind of peel away just a little bit because they're watching the crowd. Yeah. Because they know they don't have to engage in, in the dick measuring. I am not you know. obligated to worry about it. No. Got it. No, not at all. You know, and to me, those are the ones that are the most fun to be around because they also see the most. And so whenever I've encountered dominants that are brand new and they're like, yeah, I'm trying to learn, I will point those people out. You see that dominant over there? That's someone you need to get to know. You know, do you see that dominant over there? That's someone you need to get to know if you want to learn. See. And that's one of those things I didn't fully understand until later in life where I've been doing, you know, contract security in the industry for years now. And one of the key elements of that is observational psychology. Mm -hmm. I did not understand when I started that career. When I didn't know any better because I was 20 something and tired of working construction and it was a better paycheck just to stay up all night, which was something I could do no problem. I <laughs> Yeah. You know, in my mid-20s, that was nothing. What I didn't understand is those skill sets were going to start complementing each other so rapid fire. Because I was already part of a leather house by then. And so that 
that confidence, that's comfortability with knowing who I was lent right into my line of work. And I'm not going to say it's why I've maintained for as long as I have even, but it continued mm-hmm. giving me tools that have benefited me as a dominant as well as my career. They have worked hand in hand. Because I'm not afraid to take a seat back. I'm not afraid to be like, you know what? I'm not worried about what you think of me. I'm me. Mm-hmm. And I would rather sit back and take everybody in and see the play of the crowd and how they interact. And learn some things before approaching somebody, if I even do. Yeah. Because I'm not out to prove it. I'm good. And no, I didn't start that way at 19 years old. I was, you know, <laughs> I didn't, I wasn't, you know, Mr. Confident. I know what I'm doing all the time at 19. I was fucking clueless. Like anyone <laughs> else at that age. You project a really good facade if you're lucky. But anyone who's over the age of 25 knows that's a load of bullshit. Because we've all been there. We all yeah. know what it feels like because we've all done it. When you actually start taking the mask off. And this is where dominance communicating starts mattering when we turn it back into learning to be a dominant. And it doesn't matter if it's a 20 or 40 or 60. The moment you realize taking the mask off is the first element of truly understanding dominance. Mm -hmm. Because you can't afford to have a mask. A mask implies don't have confidence in yourself and your abilities. And the problem is that the moment do that you no longer come across dominant and i'm not faulting anyone who's still struggling with that I'm not saying it means you're not a dominant it's that it's one of no, those first tools to mm-hmm. it's learning to let go of that mm-hmm. and it goes back to imposter syndrome too in so many ways yes it really does now for those of you who've never heard it before because i don't we've never really talked talked about it on this show imposter syndrome is when even if you are personally knowledgeable in a subject or an environment or a cultural group or a meeting, you still feel like you're an outsider and not actually a part of it. Mm-hmm. And let me tell you, after almost 27 years of experience, I still get that walking into any leather space. Even leather spaces as a leatherman. When I don't know everybody yet, I have that moment of, oh God, are they going to think I'm a fraud? <laughs> you can't help it. Because for that environment, you are the new face. Yeah. If they know anything about you, it's by virtue of other people that they know. And this is where vetting as a culture matters. And this is why we talk about it so much when we do, is who you know matters too. It's not Mm -hmm. because they're going to do something special for you. It's that their informed experience will speak for you if you know them well enough and you've shown them you are someone worth mentioning. Because until that happens, you walk into a new space, no one knows who the fuck you are. It doesn't matter what you were before. When I left the Florida space to Minnesota, it had been so long since I had been in the scene when I got divorced. I didn't even really have references to draw from that would have known anybody in the Minnesota scene. Because there was a Mm. decade in between. So the people that I knew didn't know those people. So I was a new kid on the block in a second community all over again in my 40s. That's hard. It was rough. I didn't have anything to back it up. I had just gotten out of my divorce, and as I've touched upon in passing before, everything was left behind. 
I could not to these people who didn't know me from a hole in the wall. And, you know, <laughs> especially nowadays where, a you know, a mid-sized dude in his 40s doesn't come across as someone you want to get to know automatically. And that's okay. I understand why. Like, I'm not offended that that's the, the nature of culture nowadays. There's a reason that has become a thing. Yeah. So I, but I'm aware of it. And instead of being offended by it, I took it by the hand and said, well, here we go again. The only way you're going to get to know me is for me to show you. And that is what I did. It's the same thing I did in the first scene. I just had somebody to help me along. Now it was time to prove whether or not that toolbox was worth the fuck that they gave me. <laughs> I, you know, Woody, others, you know, mm-hmm. these are people who have enough confidence in who I am as a person that when I told them to come here to this server, they listened. Right. I earned that in another community. I didn't get that even as a vetting thing. Like I wasn't come by from someone in Florida. I earned that by my own merits. Mm -hmm. And I am pretty fucking proud of that. Because I did come from a place that was so insecure and still trying to put my shit back together. Like, Mm -hmm. I literally landed in kink while I was still a broken puppy from a wrecked marriage and a narcissist. I was still learning what Mm -hmm. it was to be me again. So I was starting all over, in a sense, in many ways. If I had not had those tools from day one, if I had not had the... And it is a luxury. I make no bones about that, especially the time frame I came in. It was a luxury that I was lucky enough to find a household that introduced me to leather at 19-something, at the turn of the 2000s. I didn't know any of that then. I had no clue until the last, like, 10 years or so just how much that really was a turning point, and I was lucky enough to happen to be there. I didn't know any better. I can see that. No, I I can see that. Those tools that we learned are taken for granted when it comes to communicating with other dominants. That social mm-hmm. structure, which is yep. just as much a key element. It's not just the knowledge base. It's the social structure Leather had. Because mm-hmm. even amongst Leather folk from other places, there was always a bottom line camaraderie of being the same. You were still Leather folk when you entered that space together. There was a universal mentality and a protocol when you walked into the bar for the first time, depending on the bar. And mm-hmm. you were expected to uphold it, but you knew what it was because they made sure you did. Which means as a dominant walking into those spaces, you were given the tools to understand what that was just by proxy of knowing who to talk to. We are now 20 plus 25, 30 years later than that era. It is not like that anymore. Leather is dying in many places, and I won't. We won't get into that today because it's not a leather discussion. It's a dominant discussion. But it, it plays together because as those okay. sources of knowledge have dissolved and withered away for one reason or another, it's not always the negative. It's just the nature of life. But now you have these gaps where you don't have leather bars and leather houses to help, even if those weren't gatekeepy fucks to begin with, which is obviously another whole part of that issue. So a lot of dominance coming in the scene today, regardless of gender, Unless you happen to be in the right spaces, no one's handing you the toolbox to understand what you thought you want to do. 
And it's not just about saying you're a dominant or being confident. Those are tools, but even then, they're surface tools. Because the real meat of being a dominant isn't even any of that. It's understanding the responsibility of the authority you are being given. More than anything else is the responsibility of And that's the part they don't talk about. They don't teach. You can't find in me. Not really. Mm-hmm. Not where it matters. And it yeah. is the key, key value. Not the only one. And everybody's dominance is a little different. And you'll have other things that facet to that. And I'm not saying that doesn't exist too. Because again, there's no one poo way. <laughs> I have to say it like that. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> no, but it's, it's accurate because it's one of the other things too. When, when somebody comes out and says, hey, I'm dominant. Like, what's, what's impressed upon you is the responsibility of taking charge of another person. What's not impressed on you is the responsibility that you have to yourself. Yep. Um, what's not ever really expressed, I don't think, in a, in a good way or in a healthy way, is the fact that, yes, you do need to prioritize yourself in a lot of ways. Yes, you devote a lot of your mental energy to your play partner and your bottom, things like that. That's important. But that's not where it stops. And so I Bingo. think what you end up seeing, and I've seen leather title holders fall into this trap where I call it the cult of submissive. <laughs> and I say it that way because it's what. I don't mean to is, laugh because I know what you're talking about. Yeah, because it's, it's one of those things where we preach so, so hard and so from the rooftops about submissive safety, submissive awareness and, you know watch out for predator dominance and all this other stuff that the entire other side of the equation gets neglected and it's the dominance yeah. that get abused and preyed on by toxic submissives. Um, it's far underreported as compared to the abuse that you hear from the submissive side of things. And it's not because there's more of them than us. It's not because it's happening more frequently. I think what happens is people don't recognize it for what it is. Nope. People don't respect boundaries that dominance have because, you know, and, and I can give an example of this real world. Um, when I say that I have a limit or a very specific preference for something being done in a very specific way, that's born out of something, whether it's my past, my ideologies, my religion, whatever. There's a reason that I have a preference for this thing in that specific manner. Right. No way around it. It came from a specific thing. But yet it's perfectly acceptable for a submissive to say, yeah, I'm not going to adhere to that. Well, I just told you that that's a thing for me. And this is a non-negotiable thing because it has to be present in my relationships for me to feel like I'm actually engaging in power exchange in the way that I want to. And what the kink community at large would have you believe is that, well, now you're a shitty dominant because you should be listening to your submissive, that that's one of their limits. See. What we don't preach to submissives is that they need to listen to the dominant for their limits as well, because we are allowed to have them. And yeah. new dominants stumble on this because they don't know their limits yet. They're just trying to learn the hard skills. They're trying to learn power exchange. And a lot of times those get learned together, which I inherently don't agree with. Yep. But it's a matter of fact. Yeah, I, I don't. Cause it's, it's, you, you don't get to master anything if you're doing the shotgun approach, right? And so what happens is you have all of these dominants that have 
I'll say a very surface level understanding of what they're engaging in. And it's not until they get a submissive that either knows more than them or a submissive that's actually wanting to invest and make something long-term work that they start seeing what they're actually playing with. See, and I'm I'm going to borrow, because again, you know, the salt father's <laughs> about to say something controversial. Um, <laughs> Docker, I know. Nobody expecting that at this point in my life. Um, but it's something that I was already thinking about when X made the comment in, in the, the chalkboard about the well-being of a submissive and people ignore the fact that it goes both ways. Yes, but more importantly, and it's the one that's going to get me some hate mail by somebody, it's why people think that I'm very dom-centric and I don't have the same feelings about submissives, blah, 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 which is absolutely the opposite of truth. But there's become this culture, and it's the cult of the submissive is the way you word it, and it's not inaccurate from the way I think about it, too, because at some point in the last 20 years has become this following mentality of the gift of submission. And I'm mm -hmm. going to pull that apart for a minute. Submissives, hold your horses before hating me. Give me a minute. Please listen to everything first. Then you can hate me. Um, <laughs> hate me, but be educated. <laughs> hate me, but at least understand why you hate me. Um, exactly. <laughs> and I don't necessarily think it's all going to be hate. I hope some of them actually get what I'm talking about. But it's that we, as a kinky culture, have evolved to this point where we put submissives on a pedestal the gift yeah. of submission all the power is held by the submissive now i understand where it came from and part of it came yeah. from submissive safety and standing up for themselves as a group which i understand mm -hmm. i respect and if anything i'm behind in the sense of i get where it came from you needed to band together and show dominance that it was a two-way street because there were some toxicities nature of anything and you rose up like any group does when they find that kind of trespass, and they made something about it. The problem is, like anything else, that pendulum swings both ways. Mm -hmm. And it became overly so, where now it's the submissive holds all the power. It didn't start that way, but that is where it becomes a lot, and that phrasing... Phrasing grinds my gears more than anything else, and any group I have ever entered where that is one of their you know, filter questions for joining a group is who mm -hmm. holds the power in a, in a dynamic. I usually write about a paragraph because I point out that I will never say the submissive holds the power because the nature of a power exchange is that the submissive is giving it to the dominant to take the responsibility of it. Mm -hmm. It is literally exactly how a power exchange works. The power is held by the dominant because that's literally what you both want. Mm -hmm. There's no version of this where the power is held by the submissive. That said, you should be as competent of a dominant to deserve submission. Yes. And I still don't disagree with that sentiment. Done correctly and ethically, you still should earn the right to be a functional ethical dominant. But it is something you have to earn. It shouldn't mm -hmm. be a, I'm a dominant, so fuck me. That is not how that works, and it should yeah. never be how it works. And I am sorry that there's circles where that is perpetuated, but that is not a functional mm -hmm. ethical thing. That yeah. is why the whole submission is a gift thing started. It is, and there's, 
I will say, I mean, as as much as I use that phrase with derision about the cult of submission, I, I will never, especially having been on that side of things, slam someone for prioritizing their safety and their mental health. Like that should be what you're doing in any dynamic. You shouldn't sacrifice that because you found your dream dominant. That means they're not your dream dominant. But I think yeah. what people fail, what they fail to acknowledge is why they get into kink in the first place. And I said this in, in the chalkboard, but... A lot of S-types come into kink because they want something done to them. Right. Dominants come into kink because they want to do stuff to people. And they don't Amazing necessarily. Amazing <laughs> But they don't dive into the why. They don't, you know, no. because at the time, and again, it goes back to my using the term transactional kink. They're looking at, I want hot, sexy time with that hot, willing person. They're going to let me do all this fucked up, hot, sexy stuff to them. This is a win-win. And then they wake up and it's been three, four months of them doing hot, sexy, fun things with this hot, sexy, fun person. And wow, this person lets me do all these fucked up, depraved things. And they're not calling me a monster. This, this must be love. This let's is pretty have a great. Dynamic. But mm -hmm. wait, what but about wait. all the other things that we're supposed to be like right. people? And well, you have and somehow conveniently that. forgotten all of that for the last three months. See, they don't, but see, they don't even care about that because right. the reality is they don't – a lot of people get and, – and I'm not saying that this is wrong, by the way, because there's a lot no. of people that come into kink that don't want community. That's fine. Oh, yeah, absolutely. There's a lot Meet of people that come into kink and they don't want to go to a physical play space. Totally fine. You know, they just want to engage in bedroom kink and then the rest of the time they're vanilla. Absolutely valid. Um, and, and I want to say that very, very clearly. We're not – Whenever we have these these podcasts, we're not talking to that group because right. they know what they're about. They are just in it for great kinky sex, and that's literally where it stops for them. And more power we to are talking, shit. Yeah, and what, what we tend to talk about more, in case people have not picked up on this, is the people that are more lifestyle and who try to incorporate this into all of their relationships, all of their dynamics, um, and every facet of their life because people that live kink typically start interweaving a lot of these ideologies into business. They'll start weaving it into family structures, how they interact with their own families. Kink starts kind of bleeding, bleeding over. Yes. And in some ways it's very positive. Um, I will say as a dominant person, it means that I take control of a lot of family affairs very, very quickly and assertively before other people really know what's going on because I'm easily able to, take control of situations because I'm used to being in charge. doesn't mean I'm always the right person for the job. just means I'm willing to dive on the grenades first. Um, but that being said, going back to why dominants don't have enough resources, it takes older, more experienced dominants to be able to look back and reflect on this to go, that's not the right way. There's got to be a better way. And if you're going to be community-minded, I find it very hard to believe that somebody could have that foresight and be able to have the hindsight and look and say, hey, listen, I fucked up a lot. Let yeah. me save you some of this heartache and let me walk you through these thought processes that you need to start having now that you've decided I'm going to do these cool, sexy things with my cool, sexy, fun partner and get the foresight that I didn't have so that you're doing it healthy and you don't damage a submissive or potentially damage yourself and walk away from kink altogether. Right. Because I feel like we have a responsibility to do that. 
I feel like anybody who's been in kink longer than six months has a responsibility to be self-critical and self-aware enough to know I don't know everything. And I need to find somebody who knows more than I do. You know, and I will never, ever preach more hardly about needing mentors than with the community I'm seeing currently. Oh, God, yes. Um, the fact Holy that we've lost shit. mentors. The fact that we've lost people. Because what we've experienced because of the pandemic is the rise of the professional presenter. And I feel that has absolutely ruined kink. I feel like it has absolutely gutted community. Yeah. I agree. Because they're no longer in it for the right reasons. It used to be you taught classes because people thought you had something to say, not because you thought you had something to say. Well, and the worst is there's people where it's now an income source. Oh, yeah. It's, and they're professional I don't, presenters. Right. And I don't fault yeah. the, the roots of it. Like, let me be very clear. I don't fault where it started. I understand that at the time it was people who were super knowledgeable who could impart something important to others that could do it, and they wanted them to do it. And so being compensated for their time at least made sense. But like anything else when it comes to the authority and responsibility of being a dominant type person mentality-wise or a community leader, that mm -hmm. authority gets even accidentally abused at first for some. It doesn't always begin intentionally. But you start getting more full of yourself when you realize people want you to here, take this money for what you do <laughs> that you used to do for free. You start thinking very highly of yourself in that vacuum bubble. It's hard not to. If you have any kind of ego, because it does feel good. You do feel special. People recognize you. I get it. I 100% get it. But part of what makes a community leader is the other side of that, which comes back to being a dominant. It's the same mm -hmm. principle. It's the responsibility of your authority. Those two key words go together for a reason. Mm -hmm. Because whether you are should. just a top for the night, whether you're a community greeter, whether you are a dominant, whether you are a 30-year master of a household, you are needing to be a responsible member in authority. You have to be. Because the community does not thrive if you are simply a dictator. Because right. of your position and you're full of yourself. No matter how much it's fun to be the power structure of your space. And I get it. Ambition is a bitch. A lot of people have a hard time with it. I'm not faulting the nature of human mm -hmm. issues. It's a flaw. It's a flaw in most humanity. But in order for a community to function, you have to be able to rise past it. Because you have to be able to take the reins with the responsibility of understanding it's not for you. Mm -hmm. Whatever benefits you may get, it's not for you. That, that key element, that key fucking ingredient is part of being a fucking dominant. Mm -hmm. Is recognizing that whatever benefits you receive from that role play into what you impart from it. And the more you want out of it, the more you got to put in it. Not the other way around. Not you keep taking because you get your fill because of who you are. It's you'll reap the benefits by giving it. It is like any other two-way street. You get nothing for nothing in the long run. And nobody else does either. And there... <sighs> 
the other the other kind of flip side to that. I won't say flip side. It's on the same side. Yeah, it is. It goes it goes it goes back to being that self-critical, self-aware person. As a dominant, you have to be. Because the other side of this is how are you going to expect someone to follow you? Do as they're told and do it with love and reverence and all those things that we crave. If you don't know how to articulate what the fuck you're on about. That's it. I mean, because in we've like, it kind of sounds like I'm being funny about it and I'm not. But you're because, not. Right. I mean, because that's part of being a dominant. Just just saying I am a dominant is not enough. Just oh, saying. That's, that's I know literally how to like getting the first little enough. welcome greeter pin on your freaking tunic from mm-hmm. Walmart. Like you just walked exactly. in the door. Yeah, you you don't have any. There, there's so much more. So to just say, I like to flog people. I must be dominant. No, you're a top. You know, get past that terminology. When you start learning, I like to control another person because I like not only controlling people. Because let's be honest, that's what dominants do. They like to control people. It's got all these seedy negative connotations, but at the end of the day. That fact is there. You like managing people. Right. You like and, being, and it goes past sex. It's not just, oh God, I yes. like to fuck you in the way I like to fuck you. It's not just, you will do what I tell you to because you need to do what the fuck I say. It's, I want to manage you. Because yes. that's what you're really saying. That's the unspoken part. I want to manage you. And yeah. it's not just, I want to manage how you fuck. I want to manage how you fuck and how you relate to other people. That's what you're asking. It goes so far beyond clean my house. It goes so far beyond, you know, make these sounds when I fuck you. There's so much more to being dominant. Well, and you, you can't begin to take charge of another person until you know yourself. And that's where that being critical and self-aware comes in. Right. And if you're not critical and you're not self-aware... Do not be surprised if your submissives don't know what the fuck to do well, and because you're not is, explaining it. Right. Well, and this is where perspective matters so much on all of that. It really does. It really mm-hmm. does matter more than people understand because it is. Yes, I do reap the benefit of you cleaning my house. And that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Like, I love this benefit. I want you to do it all the time. But I'm enjoying that benefit because of the other things I'm doing with that, that I'm having you do. Because it's not just about you cleaning the house. Mm-hmm. It's that you're cleaning the house because it serves you for me to dictate to you. And I need someone to, who's never heard that before to break it down in their head for a minute. It isn't just that I told you to clean the house. It's that right. you wanted me to have you do something. I Mm -hmm. wanted your service. You have a purpose. And it isn't just, I'm going to do this because it's, they said I should. And I trust them for that because they also make sure I am taking care of well-being, security, whatever those particular virtues that you're looking for in a dominant are being provided. All the things that we love about being a dominant, the service, the sex, the kink, the, all the fun shit, as it were, all the selfish benefits that we reap, because it is like anything else in kink, it is self-serving. Don't misunderstand me. And that's why I understand the flaw of dominance that still don't know how to get past their first belly button, that are too busy staring at themselves in the mirror like, I'm a dominant now. 
I get it. I that do get it. So bad. It does, but it's accurate. Like I know what you. Th- <laughs> no, but it's more accurate than it, it should be. Because I can imagine some teenage boy, you know, getting to 20 and looking in the mirror and doing that to themselves and thinking that means they can be a dominant now. But that's exactly what I'm talking about. It didn't make them any more dominant to stare themselves in the mirror and say it. Agreed. You have to put the work in because the other person needs you to be more than just Domly Dom Darkerson. It's not just that you're a dominant. It's what you're providing as a dominant. Not just the size of your fucking dick. If it's even in pride. I, you know. <laughs> These days, yeah, but... that doesn't always apply to that situation either way, so even more so. No, but the doesn't. point is the same. It's not about the sexual side. It's not what you're giving them in orgasms. It's not about what you're <laughs> giving them in headspaces. Headspaces is a big part of it. But mm-hmm. it's more than that. It's not that you made them, you know, orgasm 30 times in a row. Yes, that is a beautiful benefit that you both enjoyed. I'm not saying it shouldn't be. Trust me, I like it too. I enjoy this shit. Sexual breaking is a fetish of mine, besides the point. (laughs) But it's what am I doing for you to provide you a space where you feel comfortable trusting me with all of you, whether it's for the length of a scene or a lifetime. That decision was made based on something I made you think and feel. Mm -hmm. That is the key element, is it's not about what I'm doing to them. It's what I'm doing for them. Because that is what they're looking for. The rest is all benefits. Well, this this is also why I have started... And, and not just recently, but like when I when I actually got more committed into actually owning my own submissive and having my own slaves um, and really making that commitment to take charge of another person, not just myself. I brought back into my life petitioning for dominance because there's a lot of people that do submissive petitions. You know, yes. you know, they write, they, you know, he, as a submissive, here's what I bring to the table. I don't care. Or dominant I'm applications. I've seen those too. Yeah. No. Anyway. No, literally none of those things. You petition me for my dominance. I don't do a submissive contract. I don't do any of those things. You petition me because what you need to prove to me is that you see me as more than a kink dispenser. Yeah. You see me as a person. But you also, I want to know what it is you see in me. It resonates with you to say, I need to learn from this person. Yeah. That's what I, because the thing is, if you meet a dominant, and you decide that you want them to be your dominant, it needs to be for more than just, I'm pretty sure you know how to fuck the way I like. It needs to be more than, I just want to learn a specific skill, because I can be friends with you and teach you skills. I can mentor you and teach you skills. It doesn't mean you need to be my submissive. And I have found when I make people actually do a petition for my dominance and declare to me why they think I need to control them, it weeds through all of this bullshit so much faster because it gives me something to counter back at them um one one of my subs and we were together a couple of years um before he got married and found found the dom of his dreams which makes me very happy um we had talked about this because he was brand new brand spanking new i was his very first dominant um he actually found kink before he found sex and so he he learned a whole lot under me 
Um, and we, we had a lot of in-depth talks about this, and I made him do a petition because I knew he didn't know what he was asking me for. He was too new. Right. What he saw was what he saw in porn, and he wanted to emulate because it was hot and it was sexy. Right. But he didn't understand what he was actually asking me to control. And so when I, we started talking about protocols, all my alarm bells went off when I realized he didn't really know what I was asking. Right. And so part of me being ethical and responsible, I changed the conversation. It turned into, we're going to do six months of education because you cannot consent to this with where you are at right now. I'm not comfortable with that. So in essence, I'm going to mentor you for six months to get your knowledge base up to where I think it needs to be for you to have these conversations and be able to do them intelligently and in a way that actually is helpful. And then we'll go back to the petition. And he yep. said, okay. At the exactly. end of that six months, he did the petition, radically different conversation. And he was able to say, you know what, now I understand these protocols that you have. I understand why you're particular about these certain things. Yes, I agree to all of this. This is great. And so what that ended up creating was a successful DS that it still ended because it ran its course. You know, he, he learned from me exactly what he set out to learn and then found the dominant that became his life partner. And I can't stress how awesome that is of a feeling. Oh, God, yes. I never once felt like I failed. There's a lot of doms that gave me shit for that. They're like, oh, you lost a sub. No, I watched a beautiful thing grow. Yep. And I'm proud of that. Exactly. We're still friends. We are now lifelong friends. I am now friends with his dominant. Well, because ultimately you know. people get caught up in the failed relationship part of when mm -hmm. a dynamic breaks. And I think the part that people forget about is that it's still a relationship, yes, and you should mourn the loss of a relationship. Even as a poly person, you still mourn the loss of a separation. Like, it's not like it didn't matter to you. Those yeah, feelings are valid. Yeah. But that doesn't mean your dynamic is a failure Correct. just because the relationship is over. Correct. Especially not if you both go on to better things, enriched by what you did together. That's the key right there. Did you learn from each other? Did you get something out of it that will cultivate the rest of your life in some way, no matter how small? And it's not a failure. Correct. And that's how I took it. And so that's why, you know, I think that's why our friendship has lasted. I think that's why, you know, she and I might be able to become very good friends because we have very different styles of dominance. We have a lot of the same ideas, you know, right. especially when it comes to servitude and things like that. But you know, my God, I gained a great fucking friend, a lifestyle friend, you know, that's going to be a lifelong friend, you know, and I think kind of something else that a lot of dominants forget when they first start saying I'm IR dominate and they want to use that label, they forget why they fell in love with it in the beginning. Yeah. And I say that because I've, I've watched some of my friends that are far older than me that are people that I learned a lot from that are 20, 30 years in where they've got a couple of titles. They, they have, you know, their life partner who's their slave and they're in they're their 24 seven. Yeah. They've done, they've seen done, got the t-shirt, right? Right. But when you ask them why they still do it, it's almost always some obligation to the community and it's almost never personal satisfaction. And that's and it, heartbreaking. And it never, right, it never sounds like something they actually mm -mm. want to do. 
No, it, that is they such make a key. it sound obligatory. Yeah. Yeah. Like and they're locked into this now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They, like they married, they married this monolith and now they're stuck. And it's like, you're not the bride of kink for fuck's sake. Get off your high horse. Right. And, you know, to me, like, my God, what have you lost in translation that you forgot what it was to actually be dominant and, and enjoy yourself yep. for the simple pleasure of dominating another person? Exactly. You know, it's very easy to get caught up in being a community leader. It's very easy to get caught up in, you know, your obligations because you see these injustices that you want to correct and you see um, social issues that affect kink that you want to become passionate about and get involved in and help with. And all of those are great things. And I think that's a normal part of most people's journeys, to be honest with you. Yes. Because the more involved in something you get, the more you dive into it, the more you see that level of injustice, right? But the key is, do you still forget why you got started? Well, and this is... And remembering why you got started and keeping true to that. Because to me... yes. Going back to what I mentioned about title holders, one of the things that I have seen over the last, I'll say, four or five years especially, are title holders that are very technically skilled. People that are able to demonstrate cool things, cool ideologies, right? They give good lectures. Um, They're great educators. What I am not seeing is the passion. What I am not seeing is the love of the life. What I'm not seeing is the spark I, that all of us have when we start. I had a gentleman, and this this is all kind of in the same rap anyway, but I had a gentleman mm-hmm. when I was still going to Black Lotus Society group events, etc., down in Florida. So now going on 15 plus years ago. Mm-hmm. I had a gentleman come up to me after one of my knife demos, and he said, I need to thank you so profusely for doing these. And he was a top, not a bottom. Like, did you learn something from me? Like, well, you know, <laughs> why? Of course I wanted to know why he thought, thank me about it. He went out of his way. Of course I want to know. Duh. And he said, because the guys who come through here who are titled, who are knowledgeable in that way, where they're called in mm-hmm. to perform their craft, I've yet to see one who enjoys it the way you do. Not because their knowledge base isn't there, because I learned some good shit from them. But what right. I'm learning when I see you is why it's worth doing. And that has stuck with me more than almost anything else since. Not because it put me on a pedestal. I didn't become a master of the community because of it. None of that. It's because somebody recognized why I did it. And yeah. they got their fuel the same way. And that is gold you cannot replicate. I put, even today, after all these years, Syria went through consideration. You know, people call me a little bit old school sometimes, and yes, I am, because I don't give up on all of my values. She absolutely went through a period of proper consideration. And there were some Mm -hmm. tests along the way. Not that I tested her, but they came up, and we got through them, obviously. We're still together. But it was not a formality. Because I hold to those values for a reason. I have spent as much time teaching as well as learning. Still, almost 30 years into my lifestyle experience. 
because I don't give up on learning those things and keeping those values. I realize what mattered to me, and while I still adapt and evolve every day, I didn't replace them just because I could. Because part of the reason she wanted to be considered was those values that I imparted, enough that she was interested in it. We didn't meet on a dating site, we met in a kink-specific community. So what she was looking for was a dominant, not a boyfriend. The benefits of both were obviously there. But her goals were not that part of it right away. That came later. Because I imparted something she wanted. And it wasn't, you know, I didn't live in her local space. It wasn't, you know, the size of my dick or any of those other ridiculous things. It wasn't about how pretty I was. Right. It was that my style of dominance appealed to her enough to seek more of it. Mm-hmm. Period. Full stop. Absolutely. Because everything after that is malleable to what works with you and your environment and situation and people. But the key element's still there. You need to have a provision. You have to offer something other than I have a big whatever or I swing well or whatever it might be. It's not the mechanical parts that matter. Not because they don't have their place. Like, I don't want you to be a complete idiot just because you're really good at the mentality. Like, don't get me wrong. Those things matter, too. So, uh, <laughs> in the chat, another thing popped up. Yep. Um, so we do have a very legitimate question, and it is something that we have glossed over, and I didn't mean to. Is being dominant something one has to learn if their personality doesn't cater to it, but their partner seeks it in them? Or should that person accept that learning to be one and being one are fundamentally different? I have very strong thoughts on this. I do too. Um, so it's up to you if you want to go first. I'll go first. Fuck okay. It. Go for it. Okay. I'm in it to win it. Um, <laughs> I do Always. believe dominating someone can be taught. I do not believe dominance can be taught. And I say it this way. Dominance is a personality trait. Everybody has the ability to take charge in different facets throughout their life. Right. Everybody has the ability to, you know, jump in and take the reins, you know, like business or whatever. Everybody's got that, that ability. To what degree they do it and how efficiently is a skill that can be taught. Yes. But that natural innate part of yourself that says, I will own this. I will take control of this because I am the best suited for the job is something that cannot be taught. That is an inherent skill and it's a personality trait. So, and I say it very clearly that way because a lot of people confuse them. Me, me as a dominant woman, having had to learn this shit the hard way, literally, <laughs> um, I am dominant. There's no question I'm dominant. Not only am I dominating, <laughs> I am domineering. And I am dominant. Anybody who is within my presence within five seconds, damn sure knows where I stand on the dominant scale. I've never had somebody who literally did not immediately pick up on the fact that I was dominant somehow. Yep. But does that mean that I, I 
exercise that all of the time? No, because the skill to me is learning when to turn it on and off and to let other people take the reins because they may be more knowledgeable than I am. They may have a knowledge base that's different and better suited to the task than I am. I need to know when to take that seat back. But I also need to know when I need to bring my own chair to the table. Right. That's dominance. Dominance is the fact that I bring my own fucking chair to the table. (laughs) You know, I always have that fucking thing in my other hand, Mm -hmm. even if I'm not sure I need it yet. You got it. The chair's still coming with me. It's, it's, I'll I'll build the fucking table if you don't make a seat. You got it. That's exactly it. That's the dominance. Yeah, Knox will bring the whole dining room. I mean, there's that. And the subs to staff it. I'll bring you the foundations. Um, You'll have to fucking furnish mm -hmm. it yourself because I'm an asshole. That's all. Um, But that's that's the thing. So going back to... I'll use switches as a a great example. When you have a a couple that gets together and they're both a switch, there's going to be some power struggles happening because... You need to have a clear idea of who's doing what when. Otherwise, shit kind of goes sideways if you really need that power exchange and not just great sex, right? I do see them as being fundamentally different because that is somebody that can be taking control at finite periods of time. I don't give up my control and my dynamics. They are mine. They are uniquely mine. Um, anybody that's ever heard my slave talk, <laughs> she'll, she'll tell you. Um, because she's a switch. Right. And we encourage her to have her own play partners because that's a side of her that I can't fulfill. It's a side of her that my husband can't fulfill because I'm not subbing for fucking anyone. So I'm not going to right. deny yeah. her that facet of herself. So she's dominant with other partners. And then when she's ready for that reset and to come home with us, she comes and finds one of us and we put her back in her place, so to speak. Um, it works for us. Does that make me less dominant? No. Does that make her dominant? No. She's a switch. You know, and and that's the other thing too, is it's key for people to understand you can be those different things for different people, not always the same person. Right. Um, It very much is the difference between a task, a job, and a lifestyle. And so I will firmly say, I do believe that you can teach people dominant skills You can teach them to better self-advocate and show more dominant qualities within their personality. But if they are not actually inherently dominant, they will not be dominant over another person. They will be able to do it for short periods of time, like role play. And to me, it will always come across as role play, even if they're skilled. Because as soon as they're done with it and they walk away from it, it's over. See, and this is... This is where, for starters, I'm going to, because I'm going to end up answering the other part of that equation for this question, because Mm -hmm. I, there's no point to me saying it, because I'd just be rewording what you already said, because I agree on all Mm -hmm. points, 100%. Every single part of it. But on the other part of the question, the relationship-specific part, is being dominant something one has to learn if they don't cater to it, but their partner seeks it in them. Here's my the other hot take to that is at the end of the day, you're talking about a relationship between two people. Mm-hmm. If you are not built to be dominant, if that is not something that is part of your inherent makeup, and it's something your partner's seeking. Now, if you're lucky enough, and it's one of those things you are capable of learning for the learning aspect of it. 
and you're okay with that, that's one thing. But if you don't mm-hmm. even take to that like a duck to water, you you should be able to go to your partner and say, I don't think I can provide this for you. Where do we go from here? And have an adult conversation about, I cannot do this with you. And this is where being a poly person means this is an easier question for me to have a perspective on. Because mm-hmm. this is the, a normal part of being poly, is recognizing gaps in your relationship or things you cannot fulfill within one another. And being comfortable having the conversation about where that goes from here. Even if it means, well, we're both monogamous, so I guess we're going to have to go seek other sources. And for some people, that's the answer. And it will hurt because it's a relationship ending, but it's not a bad answer. It's not a wrong answer. Because you're seeking to grow and not hate one another in your pursuit of your journey. Mm -hmm. That is a healthy choice. It is a hurting choice, but it's still healthy. It's not wrong. Yeah. It's not a failure. Absolutely. It's Absolutely. you saw something in each other. It does not apply to the other things you're seeking, and you've chosen to pursue them in place of compromise. Regardless of why you did so, if it was ethical and communicated well, which is the key yeah. part of that, ethical and communicated yeah. well. Mm-hmm. You should be able to go to each other and say, well, I'm not a dominant, and that's not something I can do with you. Where do we go from here? Yes. And either you make the decision to make that because you are either poly or open or whatever particular relationship style you follow. And you talk about it and you come to a decision about where it goes from here with other people. Mm -hmm. Or by separating and seeking other people. Whichever one is the healthiest, depending on your situation. And there's nothing wrong with that decision. You are not a failure because you didn't feel like being a dominant if it wasn't something you had an inherent need or ability to produce. You are not magically flawed in some way. It doesn't make you less. I can't be a submissive. I have been a bottom. I can't be a submissive. It's not the mentality I am built for. And I've had people try, and I have explored that avenue to a limited extent to make sure. I can say that with authority for myself. I am not built that way. I will never submit to another willingly that way. It's not who I am. I don't see that as making me better than. Submission is an equal part of this equation. That's why it's a power exchange. I need a submissive because I cannot dominate myself. Never mind that that would be awkward and fucking weird anyway. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, yes, two dominants can obviously coexist, as you peruse, you know, prove every day. <laughs> but you still ultimately need the other side of that slash to feel all of the components. Regardless of how you got there. It's still equal. Not better or less. And I... It's kind of like when we've talked about during Red Flags where it's someone who says, oh, you're not submissive enough or you're not a big enough slave or all that other toxic shit submissives do to each other. Right. And some dominance perpetuate, too. I'm not ruling that out or disacquiring it just for the purposes of the story. It's not about that part of it for the same reasons, because it is equal and valid for everyone to find what works for them best. Just like when we said earlier about dominance and tops being separate, 
Because ultimately, a top is separate from a dominant for a reason. And we've touched upon that before when we did our D-type episode. That doesn't make you less valid if you're just a top because you prefer beat and release and that's all you ever want. It doesn't make you different or wrong or invalid. It's just a different source. It's a different pursuit. Mm-hmm. That's okay. Go for it. Have fun with it. Fuck. Yeah. I like watching that like shit. That some all. of y'all do some amazing shit too, dude. <laughs> or dudette, whatever. I don't care. Unless you and I are having that conversation for how we interact with each other. You take that shit and go with it wherever you want it to go. And you are not any less than I am. I don't care if you walked in the scene two weeks ago. As long as you are being ethical, communicating healthy, and open to learning. Period. There's a reason I keep saying I want people to get to my level, as it were. Because I don't think that should be a gateway. Opposite. I want everyone to have that knowledge base because with that knowledge base means everyone's a lot more empowered to have fun and worry a lot less about the dumb shit and the politics. Mm-hmm. That's why. It's not because I'm better than you. It's that I want you to be as good as I am. Mm-hmm. So at that point, how am I better than you? I'm Especially not, when you know they're capable. I shouldn't be. Well, exactly. I don't need to be better than you. <laughs> Yeah, Edie, except that doesn't count. That's a fucking cat. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. Yes, I bought them for my cat. There's no real way around that. Anyone who owns a cat understands this. Oh, um, yeah. yeah. No, those, <laughs> those are <laughs> masters. <laughs> which I only find amusing because he still calls me daddy. Anyway. That's hilarious. But, but, and, but, that's, but that's the thing, though, is I think, kind of to X's point, though, it, it's how this all manifests online versus in person is very different. Yes. I, I oh, find yes. that online, this is more of a problem in person. Yes. Because in person, you see this shit for what it is and you weed through it a lot faster. I think online well, you have to. because people can talk a good game. Yet they're projecting, they're projecting what they want you to see. Whereas in person, you can't hide that slimy part of yourself that long. Most people can't keep their shit together long enough to really hide it. But online, you could hide for months and days and have online-only interactions, right? And you can play the role of a dominant. It's easy. Say a couple of key phrases. You know, I'll use pro-doms as an example. You know, there's a lot of professional dominants out there in the world that are not actually dominants. Um, there's a lot of women especially that come into kink because they want to make money. And they know one of the best ways to make money is put yourself out there as a dominatrix and people pay you because you're hot and you're pretty. And all I have to do is issue a couple of commands. And for the most part, they'll have people fooled for a pretty good long time, especially if they're releasing any kind of content that shows their face, you know, doing clips for sales, stuff like that. They can, they can hide it. But pretty soon you start building a clientele of hardcore kinksters that have demands because they're used to dealing with actual kinksters and dominatrixes. They realize very, very quickly that you're not it. And you see those ones crash and burn. Um, so I think, I think that that's online. You can hide it longer. Um, but I think that, you know, yeah, behind a screen, 
it does make people more relaxed and they open up better. That's very true. But I find that that's why they're able to hide it because yep. they're able to, in a sense, give you what you want to hear differently than if you were in person. Because like, I'll use myself as an example. My resting bitch face is fucking epic. If I don't believe you, <laughs> I can't hide it. I feel this. You're going to instantly know as I'm staring at you that I think you're full of shit. Online, I can say a couple of non-committal choice words to make you think I'm still listening. You know, and so it's it's a whole different mechanic when you start talking about that kind of stuff. And so I do feel online you can hold your shit together and keep up that facade a lot longer if people don't know what to look for. Once people are experienced and know specifically what they're into, that drops. Um, and so I think that's very much dependent on experience and not so much on the skill of the person trying to project. So I, I think, yeah, harem groups are terrible, but accurate. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Um, that, Where you I mean, can that, hide the crazy how... because nobody is able to hold you up to a good enough scrutiny to see it. <laughs> well, and I think kind of as somebody who has had a stable, <laughs> um, <laughs> There, I mean, yeah, because I mean, at, at most at one time, I think I had six. I think it was my top number was six total, not including <laughs> the husband. You are a um, brave, brave soul. <laughs> three was my top limit, because... and I was okay with that. And that's all I'll say on it. <laughs> the only reason why the six worked is it was the right combination of six at the time. Had it oh, gone sure. any other way, it wouldn't have worked. I was very fortunate with the, the mix that I had at the time. Um, and a couple of them are still with me, but Fair. what I will say is no dominant can always be all of the things for just one person all of the time. No. It's going to ebb and flow, which is why stables work for me. It's why polyamory works for me. Mm -hmm. um, I inherently know I cannot be all of the things for one person all of the time. It's just not who I am. And I'm okay with that. Yeah. Perfectly okay with that. It's completely fine for me. Um, one of the things that I think is difficult is having the wherewithal and the ego to admit that not many dominants are comfortable with that and having the ability to say that some people just need to be play partners. They don't need to be my submissive, you know, and I'm okay with that too. There are certain people that I have great play chemistry with, love playing with them. We get along great. I would never, ever have them as a submissive. They would be trash for me. Um, and I, there are some people that I tried to force into that box that it didn't work for obvious reasons. Yep. But, but I do, I do believe a hundred percent. Eventually, if you are not dominant, it is going to come through and it will crash and burn because you're trying to basically be something that you're not. And so I think that is when it becomes important to acknowledge I am a top. I am somebody who is a, even if it's a service top. You know, I'm great with technical skills and I can give you these sensations and, and let you feel things that you want to experience, but I do not want to take control of you except for very finite amounts of time. That's perfectly fucking valid. Yes. There's absolutely nothing wrong with saying that. You don't have to, because again, you get into kink, you forget this. Power exchange is the minority of people. By a lot. Power exchange is not, by and large, the biggest kink. It's not. 
And, but for whatever reason, we're, we're made to believe that it's like the most prevalent. Everybody has to be involved in power exchange. No, the fuck you don't. I would hazard to say most people shouldn't be, you know, but it, I, I still, I still maintain that people get into it for all the wrong reasons. You know, just because it's sexy, hot and fun and you want to try it is not why you take control of another person. You then control their orgasms, not their life. That's what, that's what I'll say. Control their orgasms, not their life. And that's completely legit. You know, that just reminds me of a, a hyper positivity thing that goes along with the same lines. Control her orgasms, not her life. Mm-hmm. Control his headspace, not his penis. Like, et cetera. It's a very positive thing. But it's in that same vein. It's actually you have to put it together. Well, but it's actually really healthy when you think about it that way too, and it does tie together because it it is about that. It's don't be dominating, be dominant. Unless you've agreed to that, you know. And we're coming around that time. So final thoughts with the salt father over here. Um, Look, somebody slapped that title on me. I ran with the in-joke. It's become my thing, and I'll fucking own it. I, I like um, the Salt Father. I think, I think it's good. It, it works. It just works, because it's appropriate. Mm-hmm. It is more than I wish it was. I'm not going to lie. I didn't <laughs> I didn't choose this moniker, but I'm going to embrace it, because it works with who that's I am anyway. That's why it works. Right? But it's it's this thing where, at the end of the day, you can't be dominating. Unless that's literally part of your negotiated point. You're 24 seven, you know, we know don't actually ascribe to 24 seven, but you know what I mean? In a TPE environment where you've chosen master and slave and you are their be all end all and all of that outside of that, like 1% of the population of kink, because Mm -hmm. it is that extremely rare to even have the ability to do that that way all the time. That is exhausting. It is hard and it is really hard to maintain. And my hat is off yeah. to those that manage it. But people need to remember it's because it is such an uncommon thing because life, kids, bills, real life gets in the way for most of us. And that doesn't make them special. It doesn't make us special. It's just different. Not everyone has that ability. But that is part of the power fantasy at its finest. So we tend to look at it with a certain level of rose colors. And there's nothing wrong with appreciating why. But remembering that that's not how it works for you. Unless it does. Unless you two have talked about that, negotiated it out. You never, never act that way. It's toxic. It's Mm -hmm. unhealthy. Because... They didn't tell you that's what they want. That's not what they were looking for. So if you try to force it, then you're forcing and you're dominating, which is unhealthy. Mm-hmm. And that is something people need to learn quicker than anything else almost. Don't worry about the fucking confidence. If I la- do a last wrap of any final words, let it be that. Don't fucking worry about your goddamn confidence. You don't need to be cock of the walk. You don't need to project like you're master of the environment all the time. It will come when you learn the facets of responsibility and authority that come with your mm-hmm. You won't be able to help it. Because it comes with the job. Mm-hmm. When you get comfortable enough to have control of another person, you don't need to prove it to anyone. 
because you prove it every day just by being who you are in an ethical space. And you will very quickly realize, hey, I'm cool. This Mm -hmm. is good. But it comes on its own. It's not something you force. So stop worrying about it. Stop worrying about how it looks, how you look. Don't worry about all of that. It's about you in the beginning of your journey. It's about self-serving. You can't self-serve if you're not serving it right. Don't worry about how cool you look. Mm-mm. Worry about going to the old codgers in the room. If, and this is why I always advocate about live experience, touching on the, the thing about online versus not. It's really yeah. easy to start bullshit online because they don't know the difference. And I'm not yeah. saying that to shit on digital environment. Like the digital community is a thing for a reason. It is valid. I love it. It is equal opportunity. And I'm not saying it is any lesser than anyone else. Because you got to start somewhere. And these days, sometimes that's all you get. Mm-hmm. But you need to have practical experience to apply it to. Like anything theoretical, it only works until you've applied it. Yeah. You have to be able to apply it. And I realize that's hard for some people, and not everyone has that mm-hmm. ability right away. But have the open, understanding, ethical, and educated mind to recognize if you don't know it from personal experience, be open to a difference. Recognize that you don't have anything to compare it to other than what you've seen. Yeah. So if you haven't seen it with your own two eyes, be a little more open about maybe that person also knows something. That's all. Mm -hmm. That's all I'm saying. Not that you're wrong. It's that you should recognize that someone else could be right too. And the sooner you get that, the sooner you start fucking learning. Mm Mm-hmm. I think the other thing to point out, too, is to make sure that people are still being authentic to themselves and not trying to push themselves in directions that aren't authentic to them. Because I think that's something that people do unintentionally, um, especially when they start learning about dominance and start thinking, hey, I might actually be dominant. They start trying to make themselves fit into what they think a dominant should be instead of learning what their actual dominance is like. Right. And that's a hard one. It is. I, str- I struggled with that for years. I, I absolutely struggled with that for years because I didn't know what my dominance looked like. I thought I needed to look like other people. Yep. And I thought that my dominance needed to be like the men and women that I was around at the time. I didn't realize that it could be different. Um. And once, once I figured that out, I was actually a lot healthier, a lot happier. And I noticed that the quality of my relationships got better. My communication got better. So, I mean, that, my closing thought is going to be always be authentic to yourself, regardless of which side of the slash that you're on. And learn as much as you can, dominant or submissive. It doesn't matter. If you're a dom, learn about all the sub things because you're still learning and all knowledge is worth having. But then use that to decide how do you want yours to look like? You know, what do you want your submission to look like? What do you want your dominance to look like? That's how you pick. You know, really watch people in the community that you're interacting with and see who you admire. See what things that they do that resonate with you that you're like, wow, that's something I would like to know more about. Those are the people you approach. Not just whatever poor schmuck looks approachable. Yep. You know? And there's nothing wrong with going to people that you trust as community leaders and ask, hey, 
if you wanted to learn a skill, who would you ask? And see what they say. Yep. Exactly. That's how it starts. It's that simple because you're not going to find it online. You're not going to find it on FetLife. You're not going to find it on YouTube. It doesn't exist. Nope. You have to go decide that stuff for yourself, and you're only going to do it by interacting with other people. It's just not the kind of thing that you can research and learn online and then expect to put into practice with a, a living person. No. It's not going to work. Well, and it's why I value – I tell people this all the time. I always say practical experience matters, not because you are less without it, but because mm -hmm. in order for your journey to grow healthy, you need some. Mm -hmm. Even if it's because you go to an event to get your ass beat once a year and you go home and that's all you want out of it. There's nothing wrong with that. You are just as valid and awesome if you're getting what you want. But it is not any less important for you to experience it so you know what you're talking about when you need it. Practical and theoretical must meet in the middle at some point for your mm -hmm. journey to continue evolving. That's all. Yeah. It's not about who's right and wrong. It's not about validity. It's about continuing to grow. And you mm -hmm. can't grow if you don't learn. Yeah. How are you going to learn if all you do is keep reading the same three words on BDSM Wiki for the rest of your life? <clears throat> and obviously I'm exaggerating way beyond the norm. But anybody There's who understands too. why the joke was made gets why it was made. Don't live in a vacuum in kink. It's death. It is at the very least death for your journey and any real chance at happiness along the way. And God knows that's not the point. <laughs> it's the opposite of the point. So for the love of God. <laughs> You're right. You As know, we wrap. Yep. You know, it actually ties into what do I always fucking say at the end of these? If you have questions, if you need to know something, if you don't know who the fuck else to ask, God forbid. God help you if that's the case, so I'm sorry. Get a hold of me. You can find me on Discord. You can find me on the darker Facebooks. Um, you can find me a few other places. You look at the website or the podcast anywhere. You can find me. I do not auto-delete emails or messages. I read. Mm -hmm. If you want something from me and need to ask questions, get a hold of me. There's no such thing as a wrong question if it's about learning more or getting directed to where you can. Always. Get on my fucking level, goddammit. <laughs> Educate yourself. <laughs> exactly. Help me to help you. Right? So we can all enjoy the fuckery together. Absolutely. All right. Thank you all for coming. Always, my listeners are the, you know, biggest people I know. In fact, they are the reason our podcast survives. Right. Because I'm not doing this for me. No matter what fucking Woody says, I ain't doing it for my benefit. This is shit I already know or I wouldn't be talking about it. <laughs> it's at the end of the day, the listeners are who we do it for. And I thank you all so much for making it worthwhile. Every time I see someone in the group, 
every time I see those numbers on the analytics from, you know, RSS, et cetera, that people are yeah, clearly cool. actually listening to me and not and hear this shit. Thank Don't you. Don't add me as an afterthought. I, I heard I, You that. are not the afterthought. Come on. <laughs> If you bring up the podcast, your name is me. as plastered about it as mine. Come on. They don't come here for me, Salt Father. That's not true. You bring the class. <laughs> Aww, and God the class knows somebody's got to. <laughs> <laughs> so bad. I can be classy. I just don't choose to be on a regular basis. So somebody's got to do it for me. I... Somebody's got to make so it funny. look good because I don't. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just hide the dirty salt in the corner. It's fine. Anyway. Jesus. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome for that mental thought for the rest of your day. Anyway. Thank you all for coming. Have a wonderful day. Enjoy yourselves. Bye.